welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. And today's case is the case of Lauren Burke. Mm-hmm. And doesn't sound familiar to me, but Sloan told me it is about an Auburn student that got kidnapped and murdered. So I'm interested to hear all about this. And see where we go. If you don't know, Auburn is in Alabama. Yes, it's like there's two major universities here. There's Alabama, you know, Roll Tide Roll. (laughs) And then there's Auburn, War Eagle. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly we're both not fans of either team. (laughs) Nope, nope. I'm living in the wrong SEC, SEC country. But also, please excuse us. We're both a little delirious. Uh, we dropped Trisha's car off to get looked at and worked at on. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. And we are both night owls. Yeah. Like, we go to sleep at 2 a.m. At the earliest. Uh, yeah. So, it has been a little bit of a rough start for us today. But it's going to be a good episode. Can't wait to hang out with y'all. To another round of bartending with your bartender for today, Trish. And today's drink doesn't really require us to do any bartending, but we've been seeing these going around on TikTok, and where I work currently has a few of the flavors, so we figured might as well give them a try and see. What the fuss is about. Yes. And these are the On the Rocks Premium Cocktails. And they're a little pricey, at least at my work. They're about $18 for, like, one of the... They're basically, like, um, pint size. But it's a pre-mixed cocktail, so figured we'll give it a shot, see what we think about it. And we, being true to ourselves, are trying out the margarita one. And let me say, they are, <laughs> at least the margarita one is very good. It is, the description that they have is... The margarita offers a perfect balance between tequila, tart lime flavors, and triple sec. We set our margarita apart with the crowd from the crowd with Hornitos Plata tequila, which I think is one of their upper ones. I mean, they definitely don't skimp on what like liquor they use in theirs, that's for sure. She took a sip and goes, Ooh, that's liquor. <laughs> I took a sip and I was like, Ooh, that's some good summer water. Right. So <coughs> they are 40 proof and it is 20% alcohol by volume. So they 
are definitely strong, but they are good. But, like I said, we tried the margarita one. Figured we'd start with that one. If we liked it, then we can try some of the other ones as we see them and decide we want to give them a shot. And it did not disappoint, so I'll definitely be looking to get some of the other ones to try out. But that is our review on that. If you have tried any and if you <laughs> have ones that maybe you're not fans of but you think maybe we should still give a shot, see if we feel they're any good, let us know. And yeah, I'm really nervous about like the Manhattan. Yeah. The Manhattan and the Old Fashioned, their bourbon ones were both, like, we'll try bourbon stuff, but we're definitely not big bourbon drinkers. And Maybe if, the clear stuff. Yeah. If the margarita is, like, this strong, I'm afraid I'm going to try that, and I'm going to be like, and that's all bourbon. <laughs> but... We'll eventually get there, and we will definitely let you know. But with that being said, we'll kick you off to the episode. Lauren Ashley Burke was born on August 11, 1989, in Marietta, Georgia, to Father James and Mother Vivian. Lauren attended and graduated from Walton High School before heading off to Auburn University. She was described as well-liked by everybody, a very good student, always smiling, and always laughing and happy. At Auburn, Lauren joined the Delta Gamma Sorority and played lacrosse. And she was studying for a degree in graphic design and art. That sounds super fun, but I had several college friends that graduated with this degree, and it's so much harder than it sounds. Yeah. Like, I helped them pull several all-nighters towards the end of their, like, career, trying to get the art projects together, and it... We had this at, like, Cincinnati, and... It was known as the DAP program. Basically, it's like design. Um, oh, I forget what like the abbreviation was, but it's basically like it was that. And like, yeah, it was like the rain joke that if you met somebody your freshman year that was doing the DAP program, that would be the only year you saw them. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. It's a lot of hard work, man. But back to Lauren. She aspired to have a career in photography and marketing. Hey. Yeah. The girl had dreams. On March 4th, 2008, Lauren was spending the evening at her high school sweetheart boyfriend's apartment. Well, dorm room. Sorry. Not apartment. Sean McCade. Before she went to the library to study with a friend. Before she left, the couple got into an argument over the outfit she was wearing. And that was the last conversation they ever had. Meanwhile, Courtney Lockhart was on the Auburn campus looking for people to rob when he saw Lauren walking to her black 2001 Honda Civic. A little background on Courtney Lockhart. He was born on October 20th, 1984, and he joined the military at 18 years old in 2003. So like a little context here, 9-11 happened in 2001. Courtney signed up for the army in 2003. So this was very much the like height of the Iraqi war. 
and so some possible PSD or PTSD. PTSD. Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to say is I don't know about y'all, but I certainly remember seeing this crap all over the news channels and it was very traumatizing watching through the TV. I cannot imagine actually being there in person. Yeah. My brother was in New York when the towers fell and he's still kind of like he'll talk about but like he's just like yeah it happened we had to figure out how to leave the city he had to walk like across the bridge to even like get to where he had cell service to even let us know he was okay and everything in that and then my sister jenny's husband at the time he's now her ex but like they're still on good terms Mm -hmm. he was in the military at that point and i remember him having to go over to afghanistan that at that time and she was just a wreck i yeah i can't even imagine like i remember having to watch the news and look to make sure like his unit number was not popping up Mm -hmm. yeah it was just it, it was a very scary time for all of us and i i like i was saying i just i can't even imagine being in the military at that point yeah so in 2004 courtney was deployed to south korea and iraq so right into the heart of everything of course and courtney was there for about two years before he was in prison for smoking weed and assaulting and threatening other soldiers. You know, those damn weed smokers, they're just criminals. <laughs> just ask my neighborhood. Absolutely juvenile. <laughs> I am. Um, I commit felonies on the regular. <laughs> on the regular. Courtney also went absent without leave and assaulted an officer. So, great track record, dude. Awesome. (laughs) Love to see it. Yes. So, because of all of these offenses, Courtney spent seven months in confinement and was dishonorably discharged in December of 2006. So, back to the present time of our story. Courtney approached Lauren before pointing a revolver at her and ordered her into the car. Lauren backed into her vehicle, crawled into the passenger seat, giving him room to get in. Courtney then got into the driver's seat while Lauren tried to hand him $200 in cash and begged him to leave, but it was too late. Courtney started the car and drove off with one hand on the steering wheel and one hand holding the gun in Lauren's direction. As they left campus, Courtney ordered Lauren to take off her clothes, and Lauren, who was initially hesitant, complied with the demand and undressed. Courtney later claimed that he had made her undress so that she wouldn't do anything or make any crazy moves. Bold of you to assume. He also said that he never thought about having sex with her. Uh Uh-huh, sure you didn't. But you had her get undressed. I'm buying that story 100%, man. Courtney drove around for about 30 minutes in the car, passing bars, stores, and restaurants of all sorts. He complained to Lauren about his sad life all of the misfortunes in his current employment situation, or lack thereof. At some point during this drive, Lauren's friend Michael, who she was supposed to be studying with at the library, called her 
because she hadn't shown up. Lauren told her friend that she had to go to a birthday dinner for a friend, and Michael remembers the call feeling very rushed, and Lauren tried to end the conversation quickly, refusing to make plans for the next day. And they had been friends since, like, fifth grade, so, like, he he definitely knew something was wrong. If you ever get a phone call like that from me, or, like, you call and that's, you best be tracking my ass, ma'am. If I'm answering the phone call in the first couple of rings, you should be concerned to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am one of those people. I have my phone all the time, but I will sit there and be like, do I want to answer this call <laughs> or do I just want to text them? <laughs> and I'm hit or miss with text response, too. Yeah. But, <clears throat> anyways. Um, Lauren tried to talk Courtney out of killing her, and she kept asking him if she was going to shoot, if he was going to shoot her. She offered to help him find a job, to which he responded, I got a job. I don't need a job. But you were also just complaining about being unemployed, sir. Right. I'm like, you have a job? Robbing people isn't a job, sir. Agreed. As they were driving along Alabama Highway 147, Sean, the boyfriend, called to check on Lauren. Courtney allowed her to answer the phone, but demanded she make up a story to cover up his crime. Lauren claimed that she had forgotten about the planned study session before abruptly hanging up with her boyfriend. As Courtney became frustrated, Lauren attempted to escape by opening the passenger door and leaping from the moving vehicle. As she escaped, Courtney shot her with the .38 caliber bullet, which he later claimed was just a slip of his finger. Uh -huh. He didn't mean to shoot her. The bullet entered the back of her left shoulder, piercing both of her lungs, and exited through her upper right arm. And that was only the beginning of her injuries because the brave girl jumped from a moving vehicle Yeah. as she got shot. Witnesses reported hearing two shots, but it was just a slip of the finger. Right. But there were two shots and seeing the nude Lauren jump out of the vehicle. Courtney fled the scene, leaving Lauren lying on Alabama 147 between Lee Road 72 and U.S. 280. Lauren, naked except for a pair of socks, crying and covered in road rash and cuts, stumbled to her feet and waved down help. As witnesses turned back to help her, they saw the black Honda Civic idling nearby before driving away. So he sat there and watched this shit happen. Lauren was now lying on her back in the middle of the road, taking deep, slow breaths and gasping, and 911 was called at about 9 p.m. First responders arrived, and they tried to save Lauren, immediately transporting her to the East Alabama Medical Center, arriving at around 9.35 p.m. Lauren was pronounced dead shortly after her arrival due to blood loss from her gunshot wounds. There was even one doctor I read that he said that she probably died immediately from the gunshot but we know from the witnesses at the scene that she got up and moved around so yeah. i can only assume that like her adrenaline was pumping at that time and kept her going after leaving lauren on the road courtney stopped at a chevron gas station on north college street at 9 17 p.m he used lauren's credit card to buy 14 dollars and 65 cents worth of gas dumbass Woo! These days, that gas would get you real far, sir. <laughs> real far. Hey, I filled up for $40 the other day, and I was excited. It is going down, and I'm super stoked about that. But I still miss my $2 a 
my two dollar gas yeah he used the gas to douse the inside of the car and then drove to the hinton field parking lot and i try to look this up so correct me if i'm wrong auburn people but i think this is the band's practice field so he took it took the car to the band's practice field gotta be disrespecting my band people i knew you were gonna say that parked the car and attempted to set it on fire to destroy the evidence but he was unsuccessful next he got a burger king bag to use as a fire starter <clears throat> and i'm curious and i couldn't find this answer anywhere but i'm just gonna throw this out there but like did he go and get a whopper and fries <laughs> after all of this to get the burger king bag or i mean if this is the college campus maybe I'm there sure was one lying yeah. around maybe he got it out of the trash can I don't know. I know we had a Burger King on my campus, so I assume there was one on this campus. I just, curiosity piqued me, and I could not find the answer to that. Right. Courtney then took Lauren's iPod and credit card and $46 worth of cash, but he left the rest of the cash behind because he didn't want it to seem too suspicious. Oh, yeah. And also, you're about to light all that cash on fire. Might as well have taken it. He also left behind her clothes and her digital camera in the car. And, like, if you remember those days, because once again, 2008, this is my senior year of high school going into college. I'm in college at this point. <laughs> yeah. You had a digital camera. Everybody did. Smartphones were becoming normal. Like, a good fraction of my friends had it. I had an iPhone, but it was like, you know, I think it was like the 4 or something like that. Yeah. I had, like, the Samsung Galaxy my sophomore year of college was the first time I got an actual smartphone. And so, like, I only had that for a few months before it got stolen from a house party yeah. at my house. And I had to go back to a flip phone. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a flip phone. Like, just smartphones were not yeah. the normal thing at this point. Uh, you had to have some money to get a smartphone. Yes. My carrier did not even start carrying iPhones until 2011, 2012. So the first iPhone that my that I was able to get with my carrier was like the iPhone 6 or iPhone 7 or something like that. So just to set the stage here, that's what was going on there. This was the age of digital cameras whenever you took 15 photos of the same fucking thing and you uploaded all 60 photos that you, you could upload. Go, okay, I like that one. That you could upload to one Facebook album and you would upload all 60 photos and then make another album for the same night. Yep. And this new generation would just be so embarrassed for us. <laughs> and you our had Facebook to have the little, like, memory card that you would, like, shove yes. into your computer and be like, all right, I want to take these. All right, they're saved. They're good. All right, I guess I can go through and delete these. And then, like, there'd be the time you'd be like, but I like this one. I want to be able to show it to everybody. Yes. Yes. So it's just, it's really weird how, you know, time changes, but also nothing changes over time. But then you look back and everything's fucking different. Having to wait for photos to be developed on the freaking... Yeah, like Polaroid cameras and that. Oh, and now we have kids going back to that just because it's retro the cool thing. We're like, you don't understand. You really don't. You had to hope and pray that that picture would turn out. But back to Courtney setting the car on fire. 
He was successful with the Burger King bag attempt, then he walked to his own vehicle and fled the campus. He later returned to check on Lauren's car. Satisfied with the fire, he fled north on I-85 to Atlanta, where he used Lauren's credit card to buy more gas. He used the card again at Kroger in LaGrange, Georgia, before throwing it out the window and returning to Alabama. So, that's Courtney's timeline. Let's go back to Auburn at 9.30 p.m. Shortly before Lauren made it to the hospital, police responded to a call about a car on fire on Auburn's campus. The fire was extinguished, and investigators recovered a 38 caliber bullet under the driver's seat. Yeah, hmm. don't say. Huh. <laughs> Police ran the car's registration, finding that it was owned by James Burke. They called to inform him of the state of the car, and James immediately started calling his daughter's friends trying to locate her before packing up and heading to Auburn. Unfortunately, by the time of his arrival, they took him to identify Lauren's body. On March 7th, Courtney was pulled over by Phoenix City Police Officer Dale Richards for speeding through a construction zone on Alabama Highway 80. After calling in Courtney's information, Officer Richards learned that investigators wanted to speak with him. Richards asked Courtney to exit the vehicle, but Courtney resisted, and he struggled with the officer before driving away on Somerville Road, starting a police chase. The chase involved four police officers reaching speeds of 80 miles per hour, and officers later said that Courtney was reckless and went off the road several times. During the chase, Courtney threw his pistol out the window, and about a half a mile away from Glenwood School, Courtney abruptly stopped the vehicle and flung his door open. Officer Richards the original one that pulled him over, who was on a motorcycle, struck the door, causing the officer to fly over the handlebars and onto the road. Courtney took this opportunity to run into the woods, where officers were able to catch up to him, and after several commands to get on the ground, Courtney finally complied. He was handcuffed and searched, where officers found Lauren's iPod and cell phone on Courtney's person. Should have thrown that shit out the window too, dude. Not that that would have saved him, and you'll see why in a second. Then they searched the car where officers found 38 shell casings and a t-shirt with spots of blood. You probably should have thrown that into the burning car, too. They also brought in a canine unit to go back along the chase route and were able to locate a handgun that was found to contain two spent rounds and several live rounds. Sounding familiar? Connecting the dots? After his arrest, Courtney confessed to murdering Lauren and committed several other crimes. Lauren's murder was only a part of his violent crime spree beginning in February 2008. Courtney's crimes tended to follow the same methods. He would choose a female victim and approach her from behind as she entered her vehicle in the parking lot. He would then threaten her with a pistol, demand her purse, and or attempt to drive away in her vehicle. The one exception to this little formula that he created for his crimes was his very first crime in February when he robbed a convenience store and shot at the store clerk. <clears throat> so March 4th is the day that Courtney murdered Lauren Burke. On March 5th, he robbed a woman in the parking lot of a LaGrange, Georgia nursing home. On March 6th, he robbed a 27-year-old woman in a Sam's Club parking lot in Columbus, Georgia. He compelled a woman to give him her purse by pointing a gun at her three-year-old son's head. Oh my gosh. Yes. On March 7th, he attacked a 72-year-old woman in a Walmart parking lot in Newman, Georgia. 
He hit her on the back of her head, held a gun to her head, and shoved her onto the floorboard of the car. He began to pack out of the parking space, but realized that a witness was following him. So he jumped out of the car and then returned to his own vehicle before fleeing the scene. So quite the crime spree. I would say it almost sounds like he was hoping he'd get caught. Yeah. It, and it's almost easy to argue that like he was hoping to just get help. Yeah. And that's kind of what he ends up blaming it on here in a bit. So Courtney was indicted for murder during the commission of a robbery, murder during the commission of a kidnapping, and murder during the commission of an attempted rape. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Prior to the trial, Courtney's defense attorneys filed a motion to have the trial moved from Lee County due to the amount of media attention the case had garnered, but Judge Jacob Walker denied the request. Judge Jacob Walker, that makes me think of Jinkleheimer Schmidt. Anyways, so the trial began on November 8th, 2010. Prosecutors argue that Courtney kidnapped and attempted to rape Lauren and then intentionally shot her. They also try to present evidence about Courtney's dishonorable discharge from the military and the evidence of his other crimes, but Judge Walker did not allow them to do so. The prosecution called Lauren's older sister to testify and identify the iPod. Jacqueline Simones, the sister, testified that she had given Lauren an iPod for Christmas and identified the photo of the one taken from Courtney as the one that Lauren owned. The defense attorneys argued that their client suffered from mental illness due to his military service and that the shooting of Lauren was accidental. According to a defense psychologist, Courtney was not diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, but he did have some PTSD symptoms due to his exposure to combat. The psychologist also testified that Courtney had an IQ of 86 and that he was immature and had poor judgment skills. 86. That's like borderline. That's, that's very low. Yeah. Very, very low. One of the arresting officers testified that Courtney apologized when he was subdued. He said, I'm sorry, but no one would help me when I got back from Iraq. That was a story of not just the Iraq war, but that's just like the story of a lot of these soldiers when they go to war and they come back like it's like they don't you don't want to say they're not cared about but it's like they're like yeah you did your job congratulations thanks here's 10 percent off of your meal but like very little help to help them acclimate back to society is there yeah and it's almost it's becoming more normalized but you know therapy is really just now becoming a thing that we're saying as a society it's okay to go to even if you're okay before like in the past if you went and got mental help it was you're considered weak and just like it was just so frowned upon especially if you're in the army yeah <laughs> like you're supposed to be masculine and you know it just for me it doesn't make sense that you know we train our soldiers to go to war but we do not train them to come back home yeah and that's a big problem during the trial the public learned that lauren died from a gunshot wound fired at point blank range 
Dr. John A. Daniels, former Alabama chief medical examiner, testified on the results of an autopsy that he performed on March 5, 2008. Lauren's mother cried openly on the front row of the gallery as the jury was shown graphic autopsy photos of the injuries her, da- her daughter sustained. Daniel said the fatal shot came from a distance of less than six inches away, and as I said before, it entered the left shoulder, passing through the chest, piercing both lungs, and exiting outside of her right arm. After six and a half hours of deliberation over two days, the jury found Courtney Lockhart guilty of robbery, kidnapping, and capital murder. They didn't find him guilty on the attempted rape charge or that the murder was especially heinous and cruel. I both agree and disagree with the last part. Yeah. I feel like it was heinous and cruel, but I understand why they wouldn't, like, agree with that charge. The jury made the recommendation that Courtney be sentenced to life in prison, but Judge Walker overturned it. On March 2nd, 2011, Courtney was sentenced to death by a lethal injection. The judge cited Courtney's criminal history as reason for imposing the death penalty on him. And I'm sure that Courtney being a black man in Alabama and the judge being an older white man had nothing to do with that. Oh, yeah. But also the jury had been unaware of Courtney's crime spree and his negative conduct in the military. But the judge was. So I see both sides of the coin on this one because like. Also, judge, you can't be mad that they didn't know that because you prevented it from coming into court. Right. (laughs) One. But also, like, they were looking at it as this one instance, and the judge knew that this was not just a one-instance thing. The jury never heard about the crime spree that happened around Lauren's murder. They didn't hear about why he was dishonorably discharged after assaulting an officer in the military. So, yeah, once again, devil's advocate. The judge concluded that had the jury been aware of the additional facts known to the court, their sentencing recommendation uh, recommendation would likely have differed. Well, if you would have allowed that information into the court, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have to assume that they would have done something different. Judge Walker also argued that the kidnapping of Lauren weighed in the favor of a death sentence because she was alone, unarmed, and chosen at random on a college campus where students should feel safe you and I have both said we're very like it's a very gray area when it comes to like death penalty yes I I agree I don't agree that the death penalty no was necessary in this case no but I do believe that in some cases it is the answer so After his conviction and death sentence, Courtney appealed to the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals. The court upheld his conviction and death sentence in August 2013. In April 2014, Alabama's Court of Criminal Appeals denied Courtney's petition for a rehearing as well. Courtney then appealed to the Supreme Court of Alabama, who denied the petition in September of 2014. And lastly, Courtney tried appealing to the Supreme Court of the United States, who denied the petition in April 2015. In September of 2015, Courtney filed a Rule 32 petition challenging his conviction and death sentence. The petition hearings began in December 2018 and continued in February of 2019. The defense attorneys who represented him through Equal Justice Initiative 
argued that the attorneys who represented him at the trial mishandled the case and failed to present evidence about his trauma from the military and how it affected the shooting. I agree with that. And I think that's why the judge said, like, the prosecution couldn't bring it up. But, like, the defense definitely could have brought it up. And they should have brought it up. If you were going to claim that he was insane, you should have addressed what could have possibly made him insane. (laughs) Not to point the fingers at the military specifically. But, like we said, war fucks you up. Yeah. We only watched war through the TV and it fucked us up, too. Defense attorneys also wanted an expert to retest the gun used to shoot Lauren, claiming that the previous defense attorneys failed to adequately discover and present evidence showing that it may have accidentally discharged. Two times, though. And that, like, what? Prosecutors from the Alabama Attorney General's Capital Litigation Division argue that there was nothing that could cause doubts in regards to tests conducted by the state's experts. On April 3rd, 2020, Judge Walker denied Courtney's request for release from his conviction and death sentence again. So, the Burks have been strong supporters of Courtney's death sentence. Vivian said at a hearing in 2018, he didn't give her a second chance. He shouldn't get a second chance either. I mean, it's like, I get it, but that's also like grief. It absolutely is grief, and I do understand that argument, but also we're talking about a man that fought for this country and, like, saw things that should never have happened to begin with. And then also, like, he's just not a smart man either. And the resources were not there to help him whenever he got back. There's just so many things, like, that kind of went against him and by no means is he like an upstanding person no but also like the death sentence just seems like too too much yeah and i think that i would be more inclined to agree with them if like there had been another death or more deaths in his crime spree yeah but i don't know And then her father, James, said at a hearing in 2019, We maintain our desire for the death penalty. Lauren did get the death penalty without a hearing, and we will do anything it takes to continue this process. Even if it goes to the Supreme Court, the Burke family will never give up. So, that's how they feel about it. You know how we feel about it. Let us know how you feel about it. And then just, I want to talk about some aftermath after all of this happened. So, Auburn University has established a scholarship for freshmen majoring in graphic design in Lauren's honor. If you are interested in that, you can contact the AU Office of Development at 334-884-8700 for more more information. And that is still an active, open scholarship. I checked on it. I did research that. After Lauren's murder, her family filed a claim against the university, pressing them to reestablish a campus police force. And the fact that in 2008, there was not a police force on campus absolutely blows my fucking mind, personally. I mean, we we had one. Was it a great one? No. No, but it was something. And, like, on my campus at Mississippi State, we had a police officer's like 
office with jail cells on campus and it was right by the football stadium it is right by the foot it's still there cincinnati's i don't know if they had i'm sure they had some sort of detainment thing but then again like we are so close to downtown that like as long as they could be like detained and like like either a campus police car or like I guess the office oh, it was yeah. fine because you could get Cincinnati police there real quick. Yeah. I mean, the one on our campus only had like a couple of cells or something like that. Um, and it was just to detain until Starkville police could get there or, you know, if it was an overnight stay or, you know, whatever. But for Auburn in 2004, campus safety and the Auburn Police Department, like the city police department, merged resources, meaning city cops would occasionally drive through campus on parole. And that was the extent of their police force. The Burks claimed that the university's decision to merge its police force with the city's police force led to inadequate security. And they sought a $1 million compensation, but Alabama's Board of Adjustment denied the claim in November 2014. In 2018, Auburn University Campus Safety and Security and Auburn Police Division University Precinct began to be housed in the same public safety facility on campus. The Auburn University Precinct provides 24-hour police services to Auburn University located at 543 West Magnolia Avenue. In addition to the, in addition to this, a police substation is also located in the Auburn University Student Center near the Tiger Transit. So now they have two on campus. They also created a personal safety app dedicated to Auburn University offering a number of features, resources, and a line of communication with campus safety and security for students and employees. There are several features offered in the app including a direct link to call 911, security shuffle, friend walk, submit a tip, weather information, how to respond in emergency situations, sexual violence resources, other campus resources, a safety toolbox, game day information, personal safety tips, and COVID information. So, like, it is really a well-packed app. I was looking at the website for this, and I was pretty impressed. The Auburn Alert is available to students, game day visitors, and short-term campus visitors. The emergency notification system is designed to send out time-sensitive emergency information via text, calls, and emails. Students and employees must register in the My Campus tab of Auburn Access, and game day visitors can text AU Game Day to 226787, and that spells campus. For me, that's easier to remember, to receive notifications for one to three days. Families, friends, and community members can be enrolled indefinitely by texting Auburn Family to the same number to receive alerts. Once again, it's campus, 226787. A feature of the Auburn Safety app that allows you to share your location real-time with a friend. With the friend walk feature, your friend will be able to see you and can call emergency services through the app if necessary. Then there's the night security shuffle, which runs from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. to on-campus locations only. And on the Auburn Safety app, you can call or chat to request a pickup, or you can call 844-8888. The How to Respond tab in the app has a number of subsections including evacuation routes, shelter-in-place resources, medical information, fire responses, weather alerts, what suspicious activity looks like and who to contact, 
what to do when there is a bomb threat, active shooter information, and more. Since all of this happened, nearly 200 blue light emergency phones have been installed across campus. They call 911 directly when activated and officers from the police station are dispatched immediately. You can also take a RAD course, which is offered by the Auburn University Department of Campus Safety and Security Rape Aggression Defense, which is what RAD stands for. The class teaches safety techniques, how to escape a perpetrator, and self-defense moves. So I really feel like the university has taken great strides. I can't speak for all universities, but like I said, I was going into college right after this happened. Um, I went in the fall of 2009 and I left in 2012. By the time that I left, we had those blue lights as well with the phones. and We had the blue lights. And yeah. They just, uh, that's why I say my police force was, was there, but it wasn't great because there were so many times that you get an email like the next morning and be like, Do, please don't use the blue lights unless there's a true emergency because there'd be like drunken nights of people just going through and being blue light. Yeah, (laughs) and that's what I was about to say is that ours didn't have the phone on it. It was a button. And so like the idea for our university was like if you were being followed, you would press the buttons and the cops could figure out the path that you were going in. And while that works well in theory, I almost feel like the phone is a better idea, especially like it's contacting right away they can pick up the audio as you're like walking away or if you're actually calling and things like that i think that the app is a phenomenal resource um there were like a couple of things that i was like oh you know you can just do this with your iphone like to track your friend yeah trish and i like we have each other's locations at all times uh my husband can track my car but he does not track me (laughs) so like he knows if something were to happen to me he can contact trish or logan or crystal or you know, like I, several people that he has contact with have my location as well. So there are a lot of things that we can do. One, stay aware of your surrounding. Stay aware of your surroundings. Yes. Tongue twister. Stay aware of your surroundings. I always carry pepper spray on me. I also bought a taser. And to be honest, I use that on my dog walks because I'm attacked by random dogs more often than I am people. Uh, So I bought the taser and the pepper spray for my walks, but I feel a lot more comfortable having the pepper spray on me at all times. I don't, I wouldn't say like Mobile is dangerous per se, like compared to other cities, especially, but shit happens everywhere. Oh yeah. Everywhere. Mobile's not that dangerous, but we also live in a hot spot for sex trafficking. So it's, contradictory for me to say that but i do feel safer here than i do in some other cities that i've been in but i feel way safer having things that can help me like defend myself yeah i mean i'm a badass bitch if you've seen the tiktok that's like who are you calling if if the man starts beating on you i'm calling my damn self (laughs) (laughs) like tap me in i'm gonna beat your ass back so i would I would not be afraid of a confrontation if it w- if it came down to my life. But just having that simple thing, I can spray that pepper spray from like several feet away if you're creeping me out. So get you some protection, stay aware of your surroundings, and just be careful. 
if you're moving to a new area, know what numbers that you need to contact. Look yeah. into things like this, like this app. College is about to go back into session if it hasn't already at this point. I don't know what day it is. I don't know when they go. Right. Like, I don't know what I had for breakfast today. I, I don't know when they go back to school is my point. But if you are heading off to college or if you are a freshman or, you know, if you are still in college period, look into your college resources. Even if you're a senior, they could have changed stuff between your freshman year and your senior year and you just missed it. Yeah, you yeah. don't know. Look into the resources that your college campus offers. See if there are classes available to help with self-defense. If not, pay for them yourself, baby girl, because your life is worth saving. Also, I feel like baby girl was very, like, inclusive. All my little babies out there. Male, female, no matter what your age is. Right. Stay safe, babies. All right. Welcome to another last call with your bartender, Trish. And I don't know how long this one's going to be, but it's going to mean to be a um, liquor store <laughs> story. If you haven't been listening very long, I used to work in the restaurant industry, but I recently, as of like March, got a new job working at a... We call it a package store here. It's a liquor store. We sell like beer, wine, liquor cigars there but there's always two people per shift like you have a morning and a night shift I'm usually night shift but this past Saturday <laughs> during the morning shift uh my co-workers had a very interesting encounter <laughs> and I got to hear about it secondhand and it was hilarious and I was like oh my gosh I need to do this as a last call <laughs> so the liquor store opens up at 9 a.m. every day, except for Sunday. They open up at noon because, you know, gotta get the Lord in before, before we can get before our liquor. Before we get the liquor in. <laughs> but Saturday, it says it's kind of like a normal day. Neil gets there. He's my GM. He gets there. Garrett overslept, so he was a little late, but he finally gets there. They get their normal rush of just kind of like people wanting to get their stuff before they either go to the beach or they have their plans for the day. They're just kind of dealing with that. Then like randomly they get this one guy that comes in. He's kind of stumbling around like he's already been drinking or maybe like he's just not. He's like out of it. So they're just kind of like watching him and that. I don't remember if they said he bought anything or what, but like he was in there for a little bit. He left. He comes back. Hey, let me <laughs> But yeah, he left and then like he comes back and uh, Neil's like, hey, um, watch this guy while like I finish checking this person out. Gary's like, cool, got it. He's watching him and the way my store is up like you walk in like you have the door and like automatically like you're met with like the registers basically they're mm -hmm. off to your right side and like off to the left starts like kind of our beer uh, section and if you walk straight ahead you get to like our 
like little wine section that we have. This guy walks straight ahead. He gets to like the very end of the wine section before like we have like a row of singles coolers for like beers and that. He <laughs> gets to the very end of this wine section and he's just kind of staring at the wines and Garrett's like, all right, this is still a little weird. He goes, and then Garrett goes, he looks at this wine, he suddenly picks it up, and he's holding it in his hand, like, both hands out, kind of like, you know, when you hand someone, like, a child, and they're like, oh my god, well, I do with this thing. Mm. He's, like, holding it and just going, huh, and then he goes, <laughs> I wish, like, I had video, but he's, like, he literally is, like, holding this thing, and then he just kind of, like, takes his hands, and it's, like, huh, like, kind of almost like throws the wine bottle up like I don't know if he thought it was going to like levitate if it was gonna like fly like what but he just kind of is like huh and the wine goes up in the air and then just like falls to the floor and crashes and Garrett goes he's like walking he's like you okay over here and by the time he reaches the guy the guy just looks at him and is like something happened uh, <laughs> and Garrett, yeah, Garrett's like, yeah, yeah. And Garrett goes, so then he goes to try to reach for a second wine bottle. He's like, no, 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 let, let's go. Let's go back up front. Come on. And he gets him up front and like takes him to the door. He's like, all right, um, you, 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 gotta, you gotta go. You gotta go. And the guy's just like, okay. And he walks out and Garrett turns to Neil and goes, he'll be back. I guarantee it. And we're like, yeah. So, Neil grabs, like, his phone to call the non-emergency line, and Garrett's like, I guess I'll go clean up the wine (laughs) that the guy broke, that I got the guy out, but you go ahead and continue what you're doing. Well, Neil calls non-emergency, kind of describes the guy in that, and he goes, and he gets the response, oh yeah, somebody's already called on him. Oh my god. We already got police responding, so you should see someone shortly, hopefully. And so, they're kind of just, like, discussing what happened themselves. And that guy comes back, and, Garrett, like I said, you automatically meet the registers. So, like, Garrett stands up, and he goes, no, 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 you gotta go. And the guy's just like, okay, leaves. <laughs> Tries to come back, I don't know how long later, and Neil finally comes, gets up and goes, no, you're not allowed in here leave so he leaves and he's just stumbling around the parking lot which my liquor store is located in like a little shopping center with a neighborhood walmart so there's some other like small like little businesses in there so he's just kind of walking around and they're kind of keeping an eye on him and they notice he's like starting to follow people mainly women to their cars and that, and luckily, like, he's not being aggressive or anything. It's just very creepy, like, he's just following. Then they notice he's just, like, kind of walking in, like, the main roadway of, like, the parking lot. And that, and just being, like, a nuisance to cars. Then he suddenly, like, stops in the middle of, like, the main drive. And is, like, on his phone. Finally, police show up, and they arrest this guy. But it was just, like... <laughs> They were telling me and my other coworker about this, and I went, 
damn, morning shift gets all the interesting things. You would think, like, night shift would. But no, sometimes day shift gets it. And I was just like, they're like, we couldn't tell if he was high, if he was drunk, if it was both. Like, they're like, he was just so weird. And I was just like, what the fuck happened? Sounds like both. Right? And I was just like, oh my gosh, when they were telling you this, I was like, I have to talk about this on the podcast because this is just too funny. But I think the best part was watching, like, my coworker Garrett, like, act this stuff out. Because I was just <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and then, like, if you knew, if, like, you ever met them, like, and just... When Garrett was like, uh, you okay? Like, I can literally, like, hear him and, like, see him doing this and then, like, leading this guy very awkwardly up to the front. Because... God love Garrett, but he's kind of like a little awkward string being. <laughs> it's just so funny. I was like, oh no. But that is my last call. I just thought it was funny that um, of all times I'm not there. My coworkers have to get somebody arrested. <laughs> They didn't get him arrested. That dude that, that did that dude himself. himself. But like it was just so funny that like yeah. they called non-emergency and they were just like, "Oh yeah, he's already." We already know. <laughs> we already know. We'll be there soon. Yeah. Uh, oh man, this town crazy shit. But thank you for hanging out with us today. We appreciate you. You can hit us up on our socials. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They are all tequila. She wrote across the board. You can also email us with any case suggestions, cocktail recipes, liquor, beer, wine recommendations, uh, tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. You get ad-free episodes and you get a bonus episode. And then if you pay a little more, there's some little extra stuff. You got like a ruining paradise um series we do. We have a haunted series, all that stuff. There's a little bit of merch. If you want to find us there, easiest way is to go to either our link tree and you'll get a direct link or you can go to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote and it should take you directly to our page. If you have any questions on that, shoot us an email message or something. We'll try to respond as quickly as we can. If you go and you think, you know, we're missing something that we could add let us know. We'll do our best to look into it, get it to you, all that fun stuff. But thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. Mm-hmm.